All right, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method podcast. This time, I'm joined by none other than Dr. Jackson. Incredible wealth of knowledge. I know I say that about a lot of our guests, but I truly, truly, truly mean it with Dr. Jackson here. Um, for those that don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, thanks for Steve for having me on. Um, really appreciate your time and uh, um, really excited to dig into some cool topics. So my name's uh, Dr. Dwayne Jackson. Um, I am a health specialist. I was a, um, a medical school professor um, and researcher for um, oh, about 18 years. Uh, um, tenured, I chaired the medical uh, the medical department uh, at uh, the University of Western Ontario. It's one of our big medical schools here in Canada. Um, and um, uh, I have a background, a very deep background in sports. So I, I actually relate myself with athletics more so than I do with academics. But I was, you know, I never ever left the university setting after I went there um, at 19 years old. So uh, pro motocross racer for uh, my formative years, um, bodybuilder, uh, competitive bodybuilder for about 30 years. Uh, and then uh, I decided... Uh, a year ago, uh, to retire from uh, medicine, uh, medical research, medical education, and start my own thing as a health specialist so I can dig a little deeper into the people that actually need help as opposed to being behind the iron curtain at the university where you can't, you know, express yourself. So here I am, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Awesome. So obviously, I know you from take, having taken... Uh, one of your courses and um i gotta say it was full of like a a ton of information we live in a time now where it feels like there's uh, people that feel that there are aren't enough uh, like we don't explore enough of the details and there are some people that oversimplify um and it's almost like a a death to details um do you feel like there are things that are most fundamental for us to focus on, or are there times where we should really be diving into those details? Yeah, so um, in terms of health coaching, absolute details are very, very important. Um, in fact, one of the problems, um, and you're kind of alluded to that, you know, with the lack of detail, is the fact that when we um, when we need to dig deep and understand systems and how they interact. Uh, we don't have the information. We don't. We don't have that information. So what ends up get happening is over time, as we pass knowledge along, it becomes diluted, and it can actually uh, have this broken telephone effect where you know people add their little nuance to it, and it becomes something down the road that wasn't what we started with. So um, like the 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 course that uh, you took, the prescript course in nutrition that I that I taught uh, that I teach. Um, in that course, I go into a lot of detail for people to understand um, the biochemistry behind the foods we eat and how our body processes them. And it's it's once you kind of get a grasp of that kind of concept, for example, then it makes it a lot easier to understand like how these different uh, macronutrients and micronutrients operate within the body. And it makes you a much more effective, um, you know, coach, health practitioner, uh, nutritionist, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, makes you more effective because you do have the answers when, you know, the hard questions come out with your, with your clients, with your, you know, whatever base that, base that you're working with. So it's, 
the details are very, very important, especially if you're going into specialized areas. And there's a heck of a lot of people, um, and we talked about this in the course, that um, don't have the background to express or to, to be in the lane that they're driving in. So we talk about staying in our lane. And so, so I really try to make sure that, you know, when anybody's educated by me, if there's a topic, then you have the background information to understand, you know, how we got to that conclusion of what you would recommend. So for people who are maybe looking for a nutrition coach online, um, what, what should they be looking for? Are they, how do they know if somebody's qualified to do what they're doing with them? Um, cause it feels like just about everybody will ask you for like blood work and maybe, maybe not everybody does, but like who's qualified to actually read that sort of material or, or do anything about it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really tough question because um, education comes in all kinds of packages, doesn't it? So, so you know, you could be a medical, you could be actually, a, you know, a, um, a medical student and understand blood work quite well, but you could also be a, um, an actual physician and not understand blood work quite well. Um, and in fact, you could you learn this stuff without any education, you know, maybe beyond the high school, but, you know, there, there, is some there is some background in systems that we need to understand in order for us to, you know, make calls on blood work. But that's a great example because there's a lot of coaches out there that are saying, you know, they're evidence-based, they're basing things on blood work. And, you know, um, uh, the question is whether or not they can integrate the details of the blood work so they can, so they understand better than just looking at, oh, this is high, this is low, these, you know, I need to do these things. Because in a lot of cases, um, and actually I just got off a call with a, a, a very famous athlete on blood, uh, on his blood work. And when we, when we go through it, you actually, you actually, it's more of a, um, it's more of a story that you're looking for to tell with the integration of each of those, uh, measurements that you see in blood work. And sometimes there's some clues that you can pull out, uh, when you understand the systems that are actually in the normal range, you can watch trends, you can do these kind of things. So really when it comes to picking a coach, um, you know, it's an interview process for both of you when you have that, you know, that, the the initial uh, consultation, whether you paid for it or not. But it really is an interview process for you um, to see if you fit, but also see if this coach fits. So ask the hard questions. Ask what their background is in. Ask them to, to talk about people that they've helped that, you know, have similar conditions or similar, similar issues to yourself. And really, um, you know, at the end of the day, that bet these people because if you're putting your trust in them and you want to really make sure that you know they've had they have the background to understand these uh the, the stuff that they're actually talking about so in uh and in, in in that um it's really important for though the same thing for the coaches to tell the client what they know and what they don't know so you can um it's it's quite easy to vet a coach when if they know everything then there's a high chance that they know very little and, uh, you know, as we get smarter and are more educated, we start to realize, oh, shit, we don't know. And that's, you know, that, that's, where, that's where life becomes a lot more, a lot less stressful when you, when you can do that. And the coaches that, that can do that, then, you know, you can trust. They're going to meander down a path that they understand. Perfect. And so what you were kind of saying um, a second ago where you mentioned like, oh, somebody can look at a marker and be like, this is high, this is low, if they know that. Um, it's different than understanding the underlying mechanisms. Like, so if you were to lift up the hood and be like, okay, that's an engine, but like what makes, what all ties into this engine to make this thing go um, is a totally different thing. Like I recently had some labs done and it's like, okay, well, if you look at it from like a 
a free testosterone level versus my bioavailable versus like my uh, sex hormone binding globulin and my luteinizing hormone. It's like, okay, once we get far enough down, we're like, okay, the problem's actually here, not the free testosterone score. Because it's like free testosterone, oh, fine. And then it's like, okay, now what do we do about that? It's like... No, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And that's actually, a, um, hormones are a wonderful one for that. There's a lot of people reading hormone balance, right? Like they may not even have any education in endocrinology whatsoever. And one of the... um. Yeah, so so uh, hormones are great because you have because they're they're on a negative feedback, right? So so you know your body regulates them when they're too high, it brings it down, and when they're too low, it brings them up. But the signaling molecules in between, like LH and FSH, and these things that you just mentioned, um, those are actually where uh, we get to the Sherlock Holmes or the mystery clues, right? Because if we if we have low testosterone and we don't measure LH, then we don't know whether it's a pituitary signaling issue or it's a problem with the gonads with the testes and by having those measures and understanding what they mean then we can very easily be able to decipher whether or not this is a hypogonadal issue because of a lack of signal or because the testosterone or the testes aren't responding to the signal and it's a completely different approach to both of those um uh, uh measurements um, that we would take if we want to try to rectify it naturally. Have you, have you dealt with people where they'd never got their levels checked like ever and maybe they're advancing in age or just never really thought to? And so when you start to ask them certain questions, uh, maybe about their energy or different things that they're a little bit shocked when they get some of the markers back, hundred percent. Yeah, actually, actually it's, it's a really common one. Um, I'm a firm, um, I don't want to make this sound wrong, but I am a firm supporter of TRT when people need TRT. The problem, the problem with testosterone replacement therapy as a, as a, um, uh, a label, um, it's become like a, a thing. Well, I don't want to say I'm on steroids, so I'm on TRT or, or I, I usually take way more than this. So therefore it's TRT. Um, so this is like a true case of, of where we need it. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of clients that I've, I've come to really understand the look of a, you know, 56 year old man that's low testosterone. Uh, it comes with a lot of symptoms like sleepless nights or waking up at 3am with, uh, you know, cravings. Um, it comes with a lot of, uh, um, um, uh, poor recovery from exercise um, usually, uh, uh, strange eating behaviors. So nighttime eating habits, uh, all these things kind of come in, come in there. And that's why I love blood work to inform me because if we're not hormonally optimized, then generally speaking, it's difficult to optimize all the rest of the, uh, the systems. Um, the, the, the tough part is when you tell someone this and they're actually, it was completely unexpected is um what the options are because a lot of times you you know the clients don't want to be you you know using trt and taking needles and these kind of things so that's where the magic comes in to try and optimize testosterone through diet and whatnot in these uh, uh, client bases which is the first thing we all should be doing anyway so 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 really um yeah it's 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 very common in men um you know actually in women testosterone low testosterone is a big issue in women uh, in that uh, kind of perimenopausal period where we're looking at men between the ages of, you know, 40 and and uh, upward, and then women between the ages of 40 and like late 50s. 
um, we see like a, you know big changes in hormones, which understanding what they do to the body and understanding how to kind of manipulate them naturally becomes a real forte for the for the coach and for the client. I think there's a huge misunderstanding involving testosterone in females um, in in understanding like how much they actually need because it's like, oh, well, I'm a woman, like I don't really need as much testosterone so that wouldn't like do you find that most people are maybe like confused to hear that as a woman they have low testosterone or would you say absolutely um a lot of people like many people don't understand that testosterone is the parent molecule for you know all the hormones or many of the many of the hormones um in our body uh when it comes to sexual hormones and uh being the parent molecule it's really a matter of enzymatic uh, regulation or aromatases that give us all these different compounds of uh, or byproducts, if you will, of testosterone, like estrogen, like uh, um, you know our DHT, um, all these all these different uh, progesterone, all these things are coming from a, a parent, and uh, it's no surprise that most women don't understand that, that don't understand this, um, or many women don't understand this. Uh, without having some sort of endocrinology background, because if you go to visit your doctor for TRT or HRT, sorry, in females, uh, generally they go downstream from testosterone and give you progesterone and estradiol. And so really, you know, those are female hormones, or at least, you know, they don't realize that men have them too. But generally speaking, we think of those as female hormones. And uh, that's where we kind of, uh, that's where the um, medicine generally jumps in to the, uh, the the game is at that level of uh, progesterone and estradiols. Uh, but what we do know is that testosterone itself is a very, very important uh, hormone in its whole form in females, uh, mainly for driving sex drugs. So, you know, you can be artificially taking estradiol and progesterone and have your, your hormones perfectly in balance by measuring those two female hormones, quote unquote. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're lacking testosterone, you will not um, fix any sort of sexual uh, behavioral issues that you may be having as you enter into perimenopause and menopause. Interesting. So you also mentioned earlier how we should be trying to optimize our diet to help with um, very like various hormones. What are some things that you would focus on early on? Because uh, I imagine it's not just like how much carbs you're eating and how much protein you are. I know that that probably has something to do with it, but I imagine it has less to do with that. 100%. Um, it's actually, like we talked about in the class, a lot of times when we see hormonal dysregulation, especially in younger folks, and when I say younger, I mean like, you know, for even 40s, like, you know, early 40s down to like, uh, you know, um, even 20s. So we're seeing a lot more people saying, oh, I have low testosterone or I have, you know, hormonal issues. In, in their like late twenties, and really, um, the idea is that uh, when we see this, we tease out whether or not we have a signaling issue, and that's understanding the blood work and understanding how it all works. And if we don't see a signaling issue, uh, and it seems like you know testosterone, say for example, is in the low normal range for females, say all their estradiol and everything else is sitting, you know, in a relatively low, low normal range, but there's still symptoms. What, what we tend to do is look at, we want to look at how the body, um, different aspects of how the body uh, can be uh, optimized around that. So the first thing that I do with any of these folks is look at inflammation. 
because as soon as we have uh, inflammatory stress, which we all deal with, but if we have actual like underlying chronic inflammatory stress, uh, if we have a situation where we've got, you know, um, dyslipidemia, so the cholesterol is a little bit out of whack, and we have high blood glucose, or at least, you know, it's creeping up, that cascade of effects drives a whole bunch of issues that are not optimal for the body, like sleep, recovery, all those things. So a lot of times, low testosterone in males or hormonal dysregulation in females is a consequence of um, lack, uh, uh, sorry, a, con a secondary consequence of a um, high inflammatory diet that's driving systems uh, to not operate optimally. So once you've got that under control and the blood work all looks great, that's when you can start entertaining if something you want to entertain, you know, TRT or HRT, any of those, those uh, things. But in young bodies that are healthy, diet can definitely fluctuate hormones. We know that. Um, Overtraining uh, can uh, um, fluctuate hormones. And lack of proper nutrition for recovery from training can exhibit a overtraining state that will knock down testosterone, estradiol, and all those things. So it's really important to make sure at the front end you get the fundamentals of nutrition under control before you start saying, oh, I need to jump on this, you know, drug ABC to make myself optimally. Because it's not it's just, it's you know, you're not really optimizing anything. You're just kind of over overriding. Right. And so what kind of things can you do to help combat maybe inflammation levels with your diet? Yeah. So, so in females and males, um, you know, it's, it's really important to make sure you're getting, uh, uh, in females at least 28 grams of uh, fiber a day from mixed sources. So mostly, uh, insoluble fiber, but also having, you know, a good abundance of soluble fiber in there. Um, I generally recommend, uh, males and females to get closer to 40 grams and where that actually helps is it not only helps with inflammation, because we actually increase our gut health and, uh, you know, and, and absorption of nutrients. But it also helps with regulation of uh, estrogens. So, est so basically estrogens that circulate in the body, fiber sequesters these in, uh, in, the, in, in the digestive tract, and then we poop them out. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of people don't understand that fiber plays a lot bigger role than just helping us uh, have bulk for our feces but rather it helps with improving gut health, which then improves uh, overall body inflammation because as soon as our gut health is off, we have high inflammation, we'll have a high systemic inflammation, um, low-grade low low uh, systemic inflammation that creates um, high inflammatory responses. And so by override or overcoming those with fiber, um, we tend to see um, and, and especially in females in the perimenopausal period, estrones and these higher estrones that are very, very potent um, go down. So we stop seeing these estrogenic effects like bloating, um, any sort of like uh, mood issues, sleep issues, and, and even cravings start to go down. So fibers first. Second, uh, make sure you're limiting the amount of saturated fat in the diet. Even though this has become kind of a controversial issue, it's been kind of lost in the fact that um, we want lots of fat in the diet, absolutely, especially in the females. Um, you know, it should be like, you know, 20 to 30, 20 at the very minimum percent of the total calorie caloric intake. But I look to, I like to pump it up 30, 35% um, in a lot of cases. So, so good fats from polyunsaturated sources and monounsaturated sources. So we're talking about, you know, avocados, 
olive oils, uh, flax seed, pumpkin seeds, all these different um, oily vegetables or seeds that um, are um, high in omega-3s, high in DHA and EPA. These will also help with the inflammatory response, but also provide the fats and the, the good fats that we need to actually produce the hormones that their paramolecules are cholesterol and these kind of things. So if you get the fiber right and you get the fat intake um, to high quality sources, generally speaking in normal healthy people who are not in that kind of andropause menopausal range should see things start to equilibrate or at least normalize in their hormone level. What were what are some of your favorite sources for fiber? Because somebody might be listening and they're like, oh, I have oatmeal every once in a while. Or yeah, so so I like to uh, make sure that we're getting a mixed uh, mixed fiber sources. So most fiber sources, so for example, like flax, has a mixture of insoluble fiber. So that's kind of the bulky like hay hay like fiber that we don't absorb whatsoever. And then we have um, uh, uh, soluble fiber, which turns into like the gel, and that's what feeds our microbiota and our, our large intestine that help with gut health. So generally, I like to pick sources that um, have that, that nice combo, um, but also contain our essential fats that I was just talking about. So things like flax seeds, things like pumpkin seeds um, uh, are very, very high in fiber, but also the fats. And then also um, lots of veg. Because what comes with vegetables all uh, beyond just the fiber are a pile of really high quality micronutrients that also synergize with that fiber to um, benefit gut health, but also benefit overall health by decreasing inflammation and all these things. So, so fiber sources that I really like to put in diets, uh, quinoa is a great one because you can get some carbs from it, but you also get the fiber. So it slows down the, uh, the release of glucose in the blood. Um, Sweet potato, amazing, amazing fiber source, but also a really, really good quality carbohydrate source. Um, people who eat a lot of rice don't get a lot of fiber. So if you're eating a lot of rice, don't just pair it with meat, pair it with half a plate of vegetable because you're going to need that from the, you need that fiber from the vegetables to help regulate the blood glucose and everything else from that meal. From, in terms of vegetables, um, I love cruciferous vegetables. So ones like broccoli, cauliflower, the ones that look like kind of leaves coming out, asparagus are great. Um, and if you're having trouble digesting those and you're like, well, you know, I, I'd love to eat all those, but I get gas and bloating from it, then move to low FODMAP vegetables like zucchini, um, uh, peppers, these kind of things. And like I said, you're going to get the colors, which have the phytonutrition that it's going to drive gut health and antioxidant value. But you also get the fiber mix type it's going to give you the benefits of what we just talked about within there. So where would the stereotypical like bodybuilder chicken, rice, and broccoli sit on this kind of spectrum of uh, health and inflammation and all that? Yeah. So, so the, 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 the typical diet, which is what I, um, what I, I usually have to rebuild around for most of the clients I work with. Um, the typical diet, yeah, is, is generally very inflammatory. The biggest problem with the bodybuilding diets, so I work with a lot of um, professional bodybuilders, um, Olympia level guys that go on, you know, on stage at Mr. Olympia, 300 pound guys in the off season, you know, 275 to 290 pounds on stage. So one of the big problems with um, the, the, the rice and chicken, rice and beef, every now and then a couple sprigets of broccoli. Uh, the biggest problem is low, it's just low fiber. Um, overall, the, the amount of food that they're intaking can still have, you know, 
on the order of like 30 grams of fiber, 20 grams of fiber. Now, these are big guys that take big poops. So we need like a lot of fiber in that diet. And so, so generally speaking in these, in this cohort, um, I, for the most part, see a lot of uh, inflammatory stress in their blood work, looking at, uh, markers like HSCRP, but also a lot of dyslipidemia. And that tends to come from the fact that there's little variety in the diet. So with little variety comes, you know, very little, um, a variety in the microbes and the fiber sources that we're taking to the large intestine. And then we see gut health issues because they're pushing so many calories. So um, the bodybuilders I work with eat a lot of vegetables, uh, like a hell of a lot of vegetables. And uh, we see mass changes in their physique when we start doing that because then we, um, then we can use, uh, we end up building a lot more muscle with much less drug use over time. And that's kind of been my, uh, you know, that's kind of my claim to fame. I'm the kind of the, the guy that comes in and fixes people. And for bodybuilders, it's fixing their gut health because of the rice and, you know, rice, chicken, rice, beef. And why does that, why does that happen? Why would fixing somebody's gut health help them build more muscle with less drug? Yeah. So, so, so what, uh, the biggest thing that happens in these guys when they, in, in the young bodybuilders that are, you know, would be watching your show um wouldn't would understand this is once we start pushing calories like really hard you know usually above 35 4000 calories um assimilation of nutrients starts to become an issue if we don't support um the microbial health and the in the uh the overall health of the guts so over time um most bodybuilders will find out the rice chicken diet that whenever they eat anything outside of their diet after they finish competing their 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 bowel movements are like soft serve or even like water. And when they look in the toilet, all the healthy stuff that they're eating, blueberries, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, leafy vegetables, broccoli, anything. You can look at the toilet peppers. You'll see solid pieces of the toilet. In fact, it seems like they actually built them back into shape because you're like, I chewed that stuff. So, um, so you get solid food in the toilet and then there's probably going to be people listening going, yeah, I've seen that before. Um, when we get solid food in the toilet, what happens is you're not assimilating the nutrients from that food. In fact, what you're seeing is only a small amount of what you're not assimilating. So it's assimilation of the nutrients. Um, you can fill your gas tank all you want, but if you don't drive the car, it's just going to overflow and go all over the ground. So that gas is going to give you zero benefit. When you have healthy guts, you assimilate nutrition. Your, the calorie intake that you're taking in gets utilized properly for recovery. And a lot of my guys, you know, can't, if they're trying to push 300 pounds uh, body weight and they're at 295, when they get to me, we can get them well over 300 pounds. And that's just strictly because we increase the absorption of the nutrients that they're eating. So what would you, cause I've seen your plates on Instagram. Like what would you, in terms of like prebiotic and probiotic, like sort of, foods, what sort of things would you begin to incorporate or how would somebody know if something had that? Like, they're like, oh, I want to, I want to do this thing, but they're like, not sure if that's actually helping them. Yeah. So yeah, the same, the single most, uh, beneficial hack, if we want to use that term with them, I mean, addition to the meals, uh, in my eyes and actually like, I just don't have a call with a guy, like the athlete I was talking about. Um, he was like, I can't believe how well this works. 
is adding in a um, probiotic um, uh, food, like, you know, fermented vegetables like kimchi, sauerkraut, these kind of things. There's all kinds of awesome ones now too, because this has become kind of a, you know, a hipster kind of thing to have. So, so it's, it's awesome because people are making these amazing high bacteria fermented foods. So look for um, like kimchi, look for any sort of uh, like a pickled vegetable that hasn't been pasteurized. So this would be like, you know, the, the stuff you eat, the kind of stinky, it's fizzy sometimes, you bite it, it's got a little effervescence to it. Though adding um, a tablespoon or two tablespoons to each high protein meal with high fiber, what that does is it creates a synergistic effect because um, the, the protein, a high protein diet is actually really hard on the guts. And um, I love high protein diets, but if you don't balance that with fiber to feed, especially that soluble fiber, to feed that bacteria, the, the large intestine, and fortify it with bacteria from things like uh, fermented vegetables, then you're going to have, um, you're likely going to have some issues because you uh, are now not, um, you're now eating that high protein diet that's going to uh, change the, the, the balance of your bacteria in your guts. So adding in that big amount of uh, bifidobacteria and lactobacillus from these fermented vegetables then kind of seed the lawn, even though you have some weeds. So we're, we're going to choke out the weeds by having a whole bunch of good lawn. And that's the same idea with microbes. Feed your microbes with really good bacteria. And it, just, it doesn't matter whether you have some bad players in there because your, your, your community is more abundant in the good players. The fiber that's on that plate will feed those bacteria and colonize them better so that you get more of them over time and they produce all those great short-chain fatty acids and things that help us with inflammation, gut health, and systemic health, brain health, everything else. So that's kind of a play that you'd have where you, know, you have um, meat. Now, in terms of other fermented uh, products, if you eat dairy, and this has actually been a big problem because a lot of people don't eat dairy because they think they're allergic to um, uh, lactose. But actually, their gut health is so poor that lactose causes a problem for them. So um, yogurts are an awesome, awesome source of um, bacteria. Uh, you can get, um, uh, and, and, and the more, um, I guess, the more feral <laughs> yogurt is, so... So if you get high quality yogurts that aren't made by big, big, uh, you know, Nestle and big conglomerates, uh, you'll tend to get more bacteria in there. Um, also, uh, 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 kefir is a great, or, or kefir, however you want to pronounce it, is an excellent source of high quality bacteria. And you can just take, you know, a 200 or 125 milliliters in a glass, drink it back, and you've just given yourself billions of bacteria to kind of help with the gut health. So overall, you'll see in my posts, I really, really promote this whole idea of prebiotic fiber, probiotic foods coming from fermented uh, fermented foods in general, and then high protein. How do you feel about like probiotic supplements? Because I know there's like almost anything you buy these days claims to have billions of you know probiotics in it. Uh, you didn't mention those once, so I'm I'm kind of wondering what your take is on that. Yeah, so probiotics, I do, I do hold um, very high respect for uh, in terms of probiotic supplements. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't mention it is because if you don't have your food on point, then taking the probiotic is actually a uh, it is a purely a supplement. So what I mean by that is 
if your gut health is poor and you take, you know, probiotics got 5 billion or 50 billion uh, colony forming units, that bacteria will make it to your large intestine. But if you're not feeding it over time with high quality fiber, then you're not going to have it colonized. You're not going to have it divide and replicate and divide and replicate. And so really you're just going to be taking that supplement consistently over time. It's kind of what supplement companies want. Now, I formulate supplements for the, some of the biggest brands, um, and I've I've done this for you know twenty years. Um, my, my, I just left HD Muscle, and I produced a whole bunch of their health line and everything else. Before that, I was with ATP Lab, and the uh, so I'm a big supplement guy, but that's what they are. So if you're looking um, to use, so say you've started your gut health journey, you're trying your best to um, eat these high quality fiber vegetables, you got your fiber up to. 38 grams, Dr. Jackson's like giving you the kudos. And then now you're having major digestive issues and you cannot sustain this. That's literally or generally due to, um, in a healthy person, due to um, a non-abundant microbiota or micro, uh, microbes in your uh, in, in the large intestine, um, non-abundant and non-diverse. This is where it's these circumstances where people's guts are so... Um, out of out of out of health that I recommend a probiotic. But what I do is I recommend, and this is a company that I don't um, get anything from whatsoever. And we talked about this in the course, I believe, too. But their stuff is amazing. It's backed by clinical trials, and it's a true clinical probiotic, and it's called VizBiome. And um, that that is where I I introduce probiotics. But we're talking about an intense, expensive month of probiotics. And the idea behind that is their products, you know, their their clinical product has 450 billion uh, colony units, uh, colony forming units per packet, which is like, you know, an order of magnitude more than some of the highest companies on the market. And the idea behind it is that it's com a combination of, of bacteria are great for getting that initial uh, inoculation or colonization of a lot of bacteria, but still I'm like falling in behind that with the fermented foods and all those fibers because we want to colonize that. We want to get in and get out. And then when we start to have gut issues again, say we, uh, um, we're taking a, a bout of antibiotics for, you know, for, for whatever reason, we had some issues, then you, you grab the VisBiome again and just re-inoculate. But it's not something you have to take every single day gotcha. the rest of your life. That, that's, that's, that's actually not, not the right thing to do. So would you say that a lot of people end up putting the cart before the horse when it comes to supplementation? Absolutely. In fact, it's 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 more of like putting on the crutches before we even know the legs are broken, right? Okay, fair. So, so it is a crutch. It's a crutch. And a lot of people want to buy a supplement because like my gut health's bad, what do I need to get? And I get this all the time. Like I'm giving I'm giving a bunch of free consults this month and uh and uh the number one question from the from the ten people I'm taking on is about gut health and what supplements to take. And they're going to be very surprised when we, when we start breaking it down, breaking down their diet, because it's going to be purely dietary. You didn't get there because you didn't, you don't have a lack of supplements on board. Your right. body's not deficient in supplements, right? Fair, yeah. Are there supplements that you would rec recommend, like aside from the, you said VizBiome, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, um, in, in terms, are you talking about in terms outside of the probiotics? Yeah. I guess in general, like, are there ones that maybe somebody, general population, somebody who's looking to improve their body composition and health, what would be 
things that you would point to maybe outside of, you know, generally balancing their nutrition? Yeah. So, so, um, depending on where, what they're, where they're sitting in performance, like what they're trying to do in performance, but let's just pretend it's a person that works out and they want to have, you know, they want to optimize, um, their nutrition around supplementation. So creatine monohydrate is a wonderful product for performance works awesome. So a lot of my clients are taking creatine monohydrate. It's also great for the brain. And there's a whole bunch of super duper benefits that benefit both men and women, kids even. Um, but in terms of general health and things that are missing from most people's diets, so omega-3s, I have most of my clients take. Um, um, I usually recommend somewhere between like three to four um, uh, um, grams of combined DHA, EPA. Uh, from the from those omega threes, um, and uh, the other the other uh, product that I would recommend to probably yeah pretty much everybody is a good magnesium. Um, generally, like if 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 you know for for generic terms, magnesium bisglycinate is an excellent product, um, and I I usually recommend people take you know up to a thousand milligrams um, before bed. And uh, zinc's another one that we're usually deficient in, so magnesium and zinc. And so, you know, I'll recommend them taking about five milligrams or whatever with zinc a night. And then vitamin D3 is generally a game changer for people because most of the population that aren't in the sun all the time and, uh, you know, aren't wearing sunscreen out there and everything else, most of the population will have a either low level of vitamin D3 or, um, you know, even um, uh below what we need uh levels of vitamin d3 and that's and that's common across the board around the around the world and d3 uh supplementation is one that i've found you know most people can take 2,000 to 4,000 ius a day no matter where you are and still remain in the normal range like not blow over in the high range and as soon as you get people on d3 if they were low a lot of like the depression symptoms the lack of recovery poor sleep hormonal problems start to resolve themselves. So D3 is cheap, easy. And like I said, you know, 2,000 to 4,000 IUs a day, depending on where you are in the sunshine uh, parts of the world, um, you'll you'll do well with. I know it's not necessarily uh, a supplement or maybe most people wouldn't consider it a supplement, but how do you feel about like mushrooms? Magic mushrooms? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah, no, no. So, so functional mushrooms, I mean, um, functional mushrooms are an awesome product. I actually own a, own a functional mushroom company called Vibe Mushrooms. Um, uh, they have the, I, I firmly believe that if I can get, um, mushrooms into the supplement space, the, like the general supplement space, cause they're still kind of a fringy supplement. Yeah. Like you said, like, what, you know, are they mushroom or are they a supplement? They are, they are a supplement. Absolutely. Um, uh, if we get the right products in the right hands um, uh, with the right concentrations, people see remarkable results. Um, everything from brain health through lion's mane, uh, right through inflammatory health, psoriasis and eczema on their skin with reishi. So um, uh, functional mushrooms are a very, very, very up and coming, but boring. It's a boring, it's a boring topic. Like five mushrooms, like we've got, you know, we've got five offerings and um, it's in a boring space in my eyes. So that's what we're doing with Vibe is actually bringing it into the, 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 main, the mainstream space. 
and doing it in a mainstream way where we're actually isolating uh, different medicinal compounds in each of the unique mushrooms so that we can actually really see the effects of the unique mushrooms. Um, so for example, like, you know, all mushrooms have beta-glucans. Most companies go, oh, we have 35% beta-glucans. Well, great. That's just a polysaccharide fiberish, fibrous sink that's in all mushrooms. Beta-glucans are also in uh, opium. That's, that's what helps with cholesterol regulation and whatnot. So it's actually the unique compounds in each mushroom that create the unique effects. So lion's mane, it's arenosines and hericinoids. And those, those actually increase nerve growth factor um, in the brain and uh, have been shown to improve cognition. Um, turkey tail contains these, uh, these polysaccharopeptides uh, called PSPs and PSKs. Those are actually used, um, it, uh, turkey tail in uh, traditional Chinese medicine is used as an adjunctive therapy, like in combination with chemotherapies for cancer, because there's a lot of um, data from China and Japan showing that PSPs and PSKs interact um, well with immunity and the, the effects of these chemotherapeutics. Um, when we look at a red reishi as, as a functional mushroom, its actual main uh, um, unique compound are called ganoderic acids. There's a lot of other stuff like adenosine and all that stuff, but ganoderic acids are very unique to that. So if you concentrate those, we see great effects on stress and anxiety, we see awesome effects, like I said, on inflammation. A lot of um, skin health things like eczema and, and psoriasis kind of dissipate. Um, so yeah, so we, so we mushrooms are an awesome, awesome supplement. They're, it's it's kind of neat because you asked it as like, you know, are they a supplement? They are, but interestingly enough, um, the compounds in them are unique to the mushrooms, which is really, really cool. Like you don't find them in broccoli, right. you know? So, so they're, they're one of those like food-based supplements, but you have to concentrate the, um, isolate and concentrate the compounds to really see the medicinal effects. So you get it. If you just chomp on a big lion's mane, you can eat a lot of it. Um, you're going to get the, the, you know, get the, get the effects from it over time. But with products that are, uh, that isolate these compounds, you know, one half a teaspoon is going to contain what, you know, a pound of mushroom would have. So how about things like these, uh, like mushroom coffees, do they have enough of the lion's mane or enough of the reishi to actually get those positive effects from them? Um, so, so this is where, this is where the kind of the, the gray area of the supplement area, uh, supplement space sits. Um, the problem, the problem, so, so yes, they can, absolutely. But the marketing for the coffee part of it is really um it's unnecessary they make it sound really convenient but it's just as easy to grab a medicinal grade or a pharmaceutical grade mushroom like vibe and put it in your coffee and it tastes amazing and if you don't drink coffee then you can actually just make a latte with the mushrooms in it and um reishi's very very bitter when you when you isolate that ganoderic acid and concentrate it but Lion's mane has almost like a chocolate taste, like the 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 uh, um when it's when it's concentrated. Uh, turkey tail tastes great. Cordyceps tastes amazing, which is great for performance, everything from sexual performance through to physical performance. Um, so really, uh, when you're buying like the 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 coffee stuff, if they don't list on the back of it the unique medicinal compounds, so they though they've third party tested this for those. 
then really it's it's really going in the dark. You're going in the dark and and right now it's a little wild west in the mushroom category because people don't understand what the medicinal compounds are. So when when people are um, picking a product, they'll generally pick it on the oh it looks like a delicious coffee or you know we know the companies that we're talking about there, um, you know like so like mud water and all these ones like we have to make sure that the that what you're trying to achieve um, from the mushroom those components are in there and a lot of companies don't test it's expensive it's it's it's, it's to be honest it's it's really cost prohibitive but I'm just such an I'm just such an anal retentive researcher guy that I have to know what's in the product before I actually say that it's in. Right. How do you know you're getting enough if you're like, if you are looking for something like that? It's like, how much is enough? Because a lot of times they'll say it's in there, but they like, pixie, what do they call it? Like pixie dust. Pixie dusted. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's been a common problem in the uh, supplement industry in general, which has been, you know, circumvented by education and guys like me coming into companies and just, basically saying that you got to get this on the label. You have to make sure you third party test it because people don't know what they're getting. Mushrooms are tough, um, really tough. If it's not on the label or they don't show third party testing somewhere, um, then it's really, it's like I said, it's a shot in the dark. Um, there's a lot of profit to be made in the, in the mushroom market because of that night, the naiveness of the consumers right now. So I'm really working to educate um, on, you know, what to look for, um, how to tell whether what you have is what you have. So for example, if you're taking a reishi product and it isn't so bitter that it makes you kind of wince, I love the taste of it now because you notice I'm in there. Um, but uh, Don, I don't know if you know Don Saladino, but him and our buddies, and I, you know, I go down to New York City and we drink reishi in just hot water because we like we like it because it tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like OG supplement stuff, right? Totally, right? Yeah, and and we're OG guys, right? So, so um, yeah. So so really, at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're taking a reishi supplement, and it isn't bitter, then you're not getting a whole pile of what you need to get from it. Um, but the other products are tough because they're they're they don't have this unique, distinctive um flavor profile. Uh, um, until you actually get one that's good. So like like Lion's Mane, for example, like our Lion's Mane with Vibe. Um, you could you you take it you, you it has a very unique and really nice flavor like a like a deep chocolate flavor um, and a color, but the problem is it depends on you know where they where they grew the mushrooms how they isolated and everything else so it's really tough just to look at it smell it and say oh this has a lot of so it's sick right <laughs> so um so 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 with products it's it's all about like is this a science based company um. Who's formulating it? Is there someone up front and center that's going to put their name behind it? And that's kind of like where I where I come in the industry is like, I don't put my name behind anything unless it's actually I've had my hands in the process. Um, so so it's you know do do you know the guy who's formulating? And if you do, can you reach out to him and say, hey man, can you tell me how much ganoderic acid is in your reishi or how much you know how many what's the content of arenosines in your lion's mane? That's the important stuff. Um. The other thing to look for is they talk about uh, in mushrooms, they talk about like mycelium and people are like, oh, mycelium's crap and all this kind of stuff. The If you know that the company is growing the mycelium on rice or on grain, then absolutely it's going to be diluted and there's a high likelihood you're buying a whole bunch of you know grain with your products getting ground up together. Um, but if it's mycelium that's grown in liquid culture, 
then it's actually going to be very, very potent and very, very concentrated because this is now grown in a culture and it's just pure mycelium in the dish that you end up like, these are big, big, big evaporators that make them, but, but it, you know, it's, 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 it's been cultured and then you extract from that. So looking for these kind of key features, do you know the guy that's behind it or the girl, you know, there's a lot of there's, there's, there's many awesome, awesome female formulators out there. So the man or woman that's behind it, do they have a background in this area to actually stand behind what's in the product? Okay, fair. Um, and then I guess uh, an- another thing that I'm fairly interested in, there tends to also be a lot of marketing behind is like the the idea of these nootropics. Um, you hear, you know, someone like Huberman will come on and be like, you should be trying to take this or that. And um maybe like formulating your own nootropic, but there's also people who are, are making some, um, are, have these things actually been shown to improve cognitive performance or things like that? I think now there's the ones that like, will say things like motivation or like clarity or logic or creativity. Like, are there actual things that can help to promote that? Or are these things that you kind of need to cultivate in yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So, so, um, if I, if I understand the question, you know, if you don't have your mental health together, can you take a supplement that's going to benefit you? Essentially, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like so So in other words, you know, can I take citicoline and increase my focus so I don't have to take my Adderall? Or can I, um, uh, sort of. So, <laughs> so, so when it comes to supplementation for brain health, um, once again, uh, the number one thing to do is to make sure you have all your inflammatory health under control. So it really comes down to, like, if you've got a shitty diet and you're, you know, your, your uh, bowel movements are like soft serve every day and you're feeling very stressed and you can feel it in your stomach, um, there's a lot more going on than increasing your growth factor in the, in the brain or increasing, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, brain-derived neurotropic factor, or any of these, any of these things that these, these, these supplements are promoting. But once you've got your gut health under control and you've got inflammatory stress under control that you're not feeling any of these, you know, foggy headedness and these things that are coming from diet, then yes, um, uh, cholinergics, uh, like acetylcholine or alpha GPC have great effects on focus. Um, non- I'm going to call them non-stimulant, but they're really like non-caffeine because the downstream effects do affect dopamine. And because they affect dopamine, then it does give a stimulating effect. And that's where you get the focus from. But but in general, they're not going to stop you from sleeping at night. Um, so, so yeah, alpha-GPC is a great one. Um, um, uh, Cytocholine is, is an excellent one. Um, uh, but also increasing the magnesium in the brain through compounds like magnesium three and eight is excellent because that decreases neuroinflammation. And interestingly enough, you asked this question because I just went through about a COVID and the amount of uh, neuroinflammation I have right now is crazy. Like brain fog, um, uh, irritability, a lot of times, you know, just like easily set off those kind of things. That is uh, the situation I'm in right now. I have to make sure that my you know, all of my diet is bang on, and I'm also taking citicoline. Um, I'm taking alpha GPC, and I'm trying to really, really, you know, benefit the inflammatory response as much as possible. Lots of magnesium, lots of magnesium three and eight, to make sure that I'm 
bringing down that inflammation. That you will feel. If it's an inflammatory thing, that you will feel. And to be honest, if it's not a clinical symptom you're having, so if you're not, you know, seeing a psychiatrist for something, then generally speaking, the 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 um the uh, lack of mental clarity in our bodies is an effect of some sort of neuro neuroinflammation um, affecting neural communication. So really, really, it comes down to the same things I've been telling you. It's and there's no magic. Is if you keep the inflammatory stress down, that and and then you start adding these compounds in, that's when you're going to really notice the, the bigger differences in how it works. How much would you say like a lack of sleep is contributing to higher levels of inflammation for most people? Like huge, and and again, it's cast. It's a it's a it's a circular effect because if you're inflamed, then generally speaking, you're neuroinflamed because if you're chronically inflamed. And then that that neuroinflammation will change the way your body sleeps. So you may end up with high cortisol levels, for example, cortisol dysregulation at night. And if you have cortisol dysregulation, that's going to keep you awake at night or it's going to wake you up in the middle of the night, say 3 a.m., and, uh, and have trouble getting back to sleep. So stress, gut health, sleep, inflammation, so mental stress, um, even physical stress, all of those fit within the same cascade. So you have to make sure that, you know, you're doing your best on the things you can control through, you know, diet, uh, getting to bed early, you know, um, running through a little bit of Uberman's protocols. He's got, he's got her, it's a pretty long list right now. There's a lot of us that have to work in the morning. Um, so I would say, you know, if, if you, if you could, you know, focus on the ones that benefit you before bed to so sleep hygiene cool room, you know, shut off the phones, you know, a couple hours before you go to bed. Uh, if you're, if you are on your phone, you know, uh, even, even three hours or four hours before bed, use some blue blockers. So you're not getting a lot of that light from it. Turn down the phone's lights. So you don't have this big bright light in your face and just general sleep, sleep hygiene, no alcohol. There's a lot of easy things you can do to make sure that your sleep's good. And then if it's still poor, then you may have to look into other other means to you know kind of promote better sleep. I feel like we go through like ten of these podcasts and still not get enough from you, but I really do appreciate you being on. For people who want to learn more from you or more about you, where's the best places to check you out? Yeah, so the best place to check me out right now is on Instagram. Um, I'm building out, uh, and I've got a I got a web I have web page too. Um, so my my Instagram handle is at drdn jackson. Uh, my webpage is www.drdwaynejackson.com. It's pretty easy. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I'm reestablishing and getting going right now. Uh, my podcast is coming out really soon. Everything that you want to find me on any social network is going to be at DRDN Jackson. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on. If you guys enjoyed the episode, be sure to share it. Give Dr. Jackson a follow. And uh, I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks, Steven.